You're listening to the Straight Up Saints Podcast. And what is going on, Houdat Nation? Welcome back inside another edition of the Straight Up Saints Podcast presented by Boot Crew Media. And this is the final preview podcast we have of the 2021 regular season. And it's just so crazy how every year... I just feel like the regular season flies by. You get into September. You feel like it's dragging in your head. At least you feel like that. And then all of a sudden, the blink of an eye, the regular season's over. So week 18 is here. We're capping off the first 17 game regular season that the NFL is having. Not going to get into whether or not that's a smart choice. Whatever it is, what it is more football. I'll take it. It's a very, very fascinating game for the Saints and through all the ups and downs through the season. And my God, there've been so many ups and so many downs, but probably more downs than ups, to be honest. This team is eight and eight. They have a chance to make the playoffs and everything is kind of, I want to say kind of in front of them, although they're going to need some help along the way. So we'll talk about all that. Obviously you guys know the scenario saints need to win and the 49ers need to lose to the Rams. If those two things happen, your new Orleans saints are in the playoffs, despite all the turmoil that's happened this season. And in order to do that, they got to beat the Atlanta Falcons. I'm going to talk about the keys to that game and, go back and revisit what happened the first time these two teams met. Obviously, I know you guys are going to be fired up for that game and pretty confident, and I don't blame you guys. You don't want to go into a Saints-Falcons game and not be confident. But before I do that, guys, and obviously throughout the show, if you're watching on YouTube, which I put the link on Twitter, if you're watching on Twitter, the comments don't come through, so come through uh, on YouTube, drop in the link, just go in there and leave your comments, and I'll pull them up throughout the show, obviously, like I always do. So before I do that, guys, I want to talk about the first thing that I've noticed has kind of been – on people's minds. And the reason I say that is the way I kind of use my Twitter, um, I'll just disclose it with you guys. I, you know, if I tweet stuff, it's usually just like saints things. And obviously I'll tweet about Marvel stuff, but I love to read what saints fans are saying. And although I might not interact with the tweet personally, like I might not retweet it or like it or even reply to it. Like I see what a lot of saints fans are talking about. So I feel like I have a good pulse as to what's going on with the fans and what are they thinking of and what's on their mind. And I've noticed the last couple of days, a big topic for saints fans has kind of been about the saints offense. And I get it. The saints offense has been atrocious. I do think though, there has been a little bit of revisionist history. There have been a couple of false narratives flying around. So I just want to talk about those real quick because I think it's really important if we're going into the final week of the season and we're talking about, what's going on with this team and and what they could be, you got to address the offense because we kind of know what the defense is, right? The defense is a top five unit, a Super Bowl caliber unit, and the offense, I can't say the same. It's a bottom five unit, honestly, with the way they play most of the time. So let's get into five things that I wanted to talk about real quick. The first thing, and this is something I feel, and if you disagree, that's totally fine. Actually, I would love if you guys tell me in the chat you disagree. I'll pull it up, and we could talk about it later. But the first thing I wanted to say, at any point in the Saints season, I'm sorry, not at any point in the Saints season, did I feel like they got consistently good quarterback play. It didn't matter if it was Jameis. It certainly didn't matter if it was Taysom or Trevor Simeon, and it definitely didn't matter when it was Ian Book. That said, Jameis was obviously, out of the four options, the best quarterback option they had. I don't think anyone should debate that. I don't think anyone is debating that. And if you are, I'm kind of scared because we, we, you know, we see things with our eyes. We know who is the best option out of the four. That said, another important thing, and I think this goes to basically every quarterback that's played for the Saints this year, wins is not a QB stat. And this doesn't just go to this year. This goes to every single NFL team because a lot of people like to use wins to justify what they're talking about. 
You know, I've, I've seen some people say Taysom Hill's record as a starter. I believe they said it was six and two. I've seen some people mention how the Saints were five and two with Jameis. I've also seen people mention how bad the Saints were with Simeon. Uh, wins are not a QB stat. It's a team stat. It really is a team stat. Now, the fourth thing, and this is the most important thing for me. Taysom Hill is not a starting quarterback. However, with the way things have gone on, the Saints need to play him because it's either him or Ian Book or him or Trevor Simeon. I don't really like the other options, so that's why you go with Taysom Hill. And that said, bouncing off that, because you have to play Taysom Hill, this is what I've seen, and this is the way I just kind of approach the situation. I don't think he's a starting quarterback. I don't think he's one of 32. I love to use that kind of phrase. However, I actually do think he's been a fine backup. But again, he's such a good Swiss Army knife, you really don't want him to be your backup quarterback. And that's kind of where I stand with him. He's got such a complicated situation, but I've seen some people kind of vouch for him as a starter. I don't see it. But I've also seen some people kind of say that he wasn't good enough to be a backup. I disagree with that. I think he actually is good enough to be a backup quarterback. It's just, do you really want your backup quarterback being a guy that brings so many value, so much value, excuse me, in another spot? That's it. That's the way I see it. As for the fifth thing, I do not think any quarterback who played this year has guaranteed any position on the quarterback depth chart next year. And that's just a fact. And some of it could be because Jameis got hurt. We never got closure as to what he could be. I did think he was going to take those steps. But again, that's speculative because it didn't happen. And that's unfortunate. Taysom obviously is not going to be in position to start next year, in my opinion. And if he is, that's not good. You obviously did something wrong this offseason when you approached the quarterback position. And Ian Book, he's got a lot of developing to do. So as for who deserves it, I can't give you an answer because we have a crazy offseason coming up with a lot of decisions, whether it's a trade, whether it's free agency with Jameis, whether it's via the draft. So that's all going to answer itself, and I think that's really important. But I think there's been a lot of conversation about this offense and what they looked like before this uh, earlier this year, what they look like now, and the way I just see it, guys, there is no question who the best quarterback was on this roster, but because of the lack of personnel in terms of receivers, tight ends, just overall playmakers, the O-line being hurt, this offense just isn't good. And yeah, obviously, your offense isn't going to be good when you lose your QB1. That's obviously a fact. But at any point, did you watch this offense this year, excluding week one, because week one was just so much damn fun. Outside of week one, did you watch this offense and say, man, this is an explosive, fun unit? We really didn't. And the numbers are there to back it up. This team has two wins, two wins, where the defense gave up more than 22 points. And that's, that's honestly a really low mark. If you give up 22 points in an NFL game in the year 2022, that's actually pretty good. Like, everyone's scoring now. That's a pretty good mark. They only got two wins because the unit just can't score efficient, uh, efficiently. And that's lack of receivers, lack of tight ends, okay quarterback play. And now, obviously, with the backups in, it's subpar quarterback play. And the O-line being hurt because that was supposed to be the strength of this team. Didn't turn out that way because of how bad they played. So I think those are really important things for me when I approach this, you know, a lot of people want to just say this offense is bad because Jameis went down. And obviously this offense would be better with Jameis in it. No one is denying that. It would be stupid to say this offense wouldn't be better if they had a better quarterback in. That just makes no sense. So they would be better with him in there. But this offense, unfortunately, was just kind of doomed from the start the way I looked at it. Because even think about pre that Buccaneers injury game, 
that Seattle game was painful for us to watch. And I'm not even blaming the quarterback because it wasn't the quarterback's fault. It was just a bad unit overall. So that's for the offseason to figure out how they kind of fix it. We're just worried about the Falcons at this point. But I wanted to get that off my chest because I think there are some people blaming just one particular player, some people blaming another particular player. I don't think it's that simple. I just think it's a bad unit. And and whether it's missing Andrews Pete or missing Jameis Winston or missing Michael Thomas or missing Armstead and Ramchek. I mean, you're going through the list and I'm mentioning key players that you're missing. So when you lose all that, it's going to be a bad unit. And even with that, it was a mediocre unit because they were missing playmakers. And you got to have playmakers in today's NFL. That was my opening rant. We'll get into the Saints-Falcons just a little bit. Before I do that, though, as promised, going to bring up some comments, see what you guys have to say. And obviously, whoever's in the chat, appreciate you guys in there. I know it's a Wednesday night. You probably have other things to do, maybe some better things to do. But if you're spending it with me, I really do appreciate it. So let's pull up this first one here. Anybody that wants to taste him as a Saints starting quarterback next season is a clown. Now, I don't want to call people a clown, but I will, I will say it's a very weird, stupid pun here. It's a very weird hill to die on to say you want Taysom as the quarterback next year. Um, I really like the dude as a football player. He's just not a starting quarterback. Uh, I think there is value to him, more value than some people will give him credit, but just not as a starting quarterback. You want to say playmaker, let's do this thing. I think he's a great playmaker. But quarterback, that's just not where I'm at with that. And obviously, some of you guys feel that way with him saying he's not a, a good quarterback. Um, but again, we'll see. And yeah, look, he is the best option right now regarding Taysom Hill because your other options are Trevor Simeon and Ian Book. Sometimes when you're looking between crappy options, there's one option that's not as crappy as the others. That's what I would say. That's just the way I'm looking at it. Um, but we'll see what happens. Those games with Jameis were not pretty. Yeah, look, that. and again, this isn't a knock on Jameis. Um, because obviously to some other people's points, Jameis was fine and he was at some points he was fine. It's just an offense that just hasn't been good from the very start. You know, the first game of the season was a great game for them. We saw the struggles in Carolina. We saw the, the inconsistencies, I would say against the giants. We saw the struggles against Seattle. Obviously when Jameis goes down, then the struggles kind of just elevate to another level. Uh, it's from going from, let's say, mediocre to bad or bad to worse, whatever analogy you might want to use, that obviously was an issue. Um, but again, like I said, you were missing so much talent. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I feel that Coach Payton was seemingly afraid to let Jameis sling the ball, uh, which held him back. Look, I, I don't know if that was necessarily the case. I also think it's a comfort level. Like, I know Jameis had a year to learn the system, but it's, and, and you guys will agree with this, it is much different just sitting there for a year and learning the system than actually getting the live game reps. And you can't, substitute live game reps at all. Um, and, I, and I've said this multiple times, and people who listen to the podcast all the time know this. I always said I actually thought he was going to turn the corner, and then he got injured. And that's why I felt like terrible about the injury, besides the fact that it seemed like he really embraced New Orleans and, they, and New Orleans embraced him. It seemed like the Bucks game, he was actually on time, good throws down the field, really good touchdown pass to Traquan Smith before he got hurt, and then bang, the injury happened. And I always, thought, I always thought that was kind of the turning point where he was going to get on track, and it just didn't happen. So I was obviously very upset about that. Assuming you saw Jameis' rehab videos, let me just say if we could miraculously make it to the NFC Championship game and Jameis could take a Super Bowl, that'd be hilarious. Look, that will not happen because it's not physically possible, unfortunately, uh, with the, the, way, the timeline of that injury like that. But he looks good in his rehab videos. I'm not really surprised. He's a really hard worker from what I've heard. So I thought that... Uh, they just didn't surprise me. I think he's a good worker. I think he's going to make tremendous progress in his rehab, and he already is making tremendous progress in his rehab, and that's what you want because, again, you don't know what the Saints quarterback situation is going to be, and if Jameis is going to be one of the options, and I'd imagine he will be, 
you want him at 100% for next season. So it's obviously great to see him making progress in his rehab. I miss Pete as much as it pains me to say. Hey, look, it, it is the funniest thing. And I said this a couple of weeks ago. You don't really know what you have until you lose it. And I'm not saying Andrews Pete's some special player. I think Andrews Pete is an okay player who does something, some things well. He does some things terribly, don't get me wrong. But he does do some things well. And then when you watch the, rep, the substitutes and you see his teammates struggle, then you're like, okay, maybe he isn't the weak link, which he's not the weak link. He, he was never the weak link. I think it's just because the way he gets beat, the fashion he gets beat, it's easy to just go all in and bash the guy. But that's not the case for me. I, I've, I've always thought that he gets a little bit of a bad rap. And obviously, I've criticized him too. I'm no angel in this uh, conversation here. But I, I think for sure, um, Andrews Pete, the Saints are missing him. Chris is next year's QB1, plain and simple. Absolutely not, man. Oh, my God. You guys think Drew Brees didn't have the arm strength last year. If I was QB out there, we'd be dinking and dunking five yards. So, uh, not sure about that one. Appreciate the suggestion, though. Saints need to revamp the entire offense. Yes, they do. And, and I tell you this, guys, when this season's over, the offseason discussions we're going to have, the hypotheticals, whether it's on the podcast or even just on Twitter, it's going to be really fun just to kind of think and brainstorm about how can you fix this offense because I still think that the right coach is there calling the plays. And I do think you have the elements with some talented all offensive linemen with, if Michael Thomas is healthy, a good receiver and a great running back. You need more, though. You need more than just those two weapons and a good old line. Chris, I got a problem with diehard Saints fans. My brother's a Niners fan. Someone's going to be heartbroken this Sunday evening. Man, I'm so glad you said that, actually. So so if you guys don't know, um, I've said this before. My brother and my dad are actually 49ers fans. So I have the same situation you have. Someone's going to be miserable at the dinner table on Sunday night. Either it's going to be me or it's going to be them. Someone will be. So uh, pretty similar situation like you guys have. And uh, it's funny how that works out. Obviously, we'll see what happens, man. But um, – well, see, I, I told my I told my family we're going to keep it civil, but that's all talk on a, on a Wednesday. We'll see what happens on a Sunday, uh, but we'll see what happens, man. We'll see what happens there. I want to taste him in the in this exact role. He's QB two and a dynamic player make uh, dynamic player. Yeah, no, he is. Like, I think that's the thing about Taysom, right? I think if you're watching the Saints games, you're watching him and you're like, okay, he's not QB one. That, that's a no-brainer. And that's why I actually think some of these people who just rip Taysom Hill, I feel like you're wasting your time because you're banging you're, you're banging the drum on a point that doesn't need to be banged. Like, we know he's not a QB1. Uh, I do think, though, in today's NFL, he's probably a better backup quarterback than most backup quarterbacks in this NFL. Like, I saw some people were saying Joe Flacco this, Joe Flacco that. I'm sorry. Taysom Hill at this stage is better than Joe Flacco at this stage. That's not saying much. It's not. So, let me just get that away. It's not saying much. Um, but... Again, I, I think Taysom has a little bit more value than people think. Appreciate the shout-out. Yeah, absolutely, man. I appreciate it. When people are going to put in questions like that that are great, informative, and, and just comments, I love to pull them up. Uh, it makes it a lot easier for me. It makes it a lot more engaging. Do you think this offense would be better had we re-signed Sanders and Cook? It would have been. I, I think that's – I don't want to say it's a fact because, again, I'm stating my opinion, but I, I do think personally that this offense would look better because you'd have two more pass catchers. And I, Look, the Sanders one hurt because I think Sanders definitely would have helped. And I think for Jared Cook, it was kind of a point of no return, right? The fumble was brutal. He really didn't help himself with the, the comments that he makes post-game with it. It is what it is. And some things that he said throughout the year, I just didn't think were great, right? Um, but you look at the pass, the, the passing attack, Sanders would be an upgrade over Traquan. He would probably be an upgrade over Callaway. He would definitely be an upgrade over little Jordan Humphrey. And Jared Cook, man, 
Look, I, I, look, we can say what we want about Jared Cook. I, I, I'm too tired to sit here and yell about a fumble, which, yeah, it was his fault. Don't get me wrong. But he still is a better receiving option than Troutman. Still is a better re- receiving option than Juwan Johnson. Still a better receiving option than Nick Vanette. So, yeah, those guys probably would have helped this offense. It just didn't work out that way in terms of the, the cap for the Saints. So, it was unfortunate, but, yeah, it would have helped. Saints need to revamp that entire line outside of McCoy and Ramchek like the Chiefs did not too long ago. Yeah, look, and, and you say Chiefs not too long ago. Chiefs just did it this past offseason. So, yeah, absolutely not too long ago. And I think it's fascinating. I said it two podcasts ago that I think that the Saints line, we want to talk about how you know strong this unit is and it could be the future, and that's where they're going to run through. And I think it sounds all great and fine, but there are a lot more issues than we want to say, like, Okay, Ramchek just missed most of this year by injury. That's not great. If his knee gets cleaned up and he's good for the future, awesome. Cesar Ruiz, my God, there's so much bad tape this year that you get into year three and you had to ask the question, is he a starter in this league? And right now, I don't think he is, but the Saints might run it back another year. And then that's a question at right guard. And Armstead, free agent, and he's always banged up. That's a question that needs to be answered. And McCoy, I think, is the, the guy that I have no questions about. And then even left guard, yeah, Andrews Pete can play well from time to time, but man, he's hurt too a lot. So I think there's a little bit more questions than people believe. Um, but again, we'll see what happens. I, I wouldn't doubt the Saints' ability to get more O-linemen in there. For every time we complain about them missing, they usually hit. Uh, for every Ruiz, there's a Ram check. For every Rick Leonard, there's an Armstead. So I, I think they'll figure it out. Um, but yeah, and I see you guys talking about the receiving corpse, about what it could have been. It could have been better, absolutely. And to your point, yeah, AB is not coming to save this wide receiver corpse. And I'll tell you what, I don't even know if AB gets cut um, with the way the situation's going down. It seems like Tampa Bay might stash him for the playoffs, not play him, but just so no one gets their hands on him. So drop more comments as you guys have them, and I'll pull them up throughout the show. Uh, but before we get into more comments, I want to get into this Saints injury report and talk about this Saints Falcons game because obviously that's what's the real important thing here uh, coming up this game and. What's going to go down? Because you need the Saints to win. You need the 49ers to lose. If that happens, you're in the playoffs. So let's get into the injury report. It's kind of busy. Let's start off with the did not participate. And there's four major ones. Bradley Roby, a shoulder. Teron Armstead, a knee injury. Marcus Davenport, an ankle injury. And PJ Williams, an ankle injury. So on the surface, that looks bad. Now, Bradley Roby, you can do without that. Like if Bradley Roby misses the game, yeah, well, you traded the third round pick for him, but he has not done a lot this year, and that's because of Debo. Debo's been so steady for them as a rookie. Armstead, P.J. Williams, and Marcus Davenport, those are the big ones. Armstead's the type of guy he could not practice this week, and he could be questionable on sun- for Sunday's game, and he could start. Like, I will never judge Armstead's availability on a Wednesday injury report. I just, I can't. I can't do that in good faith. I just think it would be unfair of me to do that because Armstead has proven that he's a warrior, and he'll probably try to play. And he'll see how his body feels Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and that's going to determine. I don't think Wednesday's practice will. Davenport and Williams, though, I tend towards the side of, side of being concerned because, A, Williams went down not once but twice against the Panthers last Sunday. And Davenport, ankle injury is not a great injury to have on your big dude like that. I don't think ankle injury is good for any position you play, so that's probably a stupid comment on my part. But that is definitely a concern there for Davenport as well because he's been banged up this year, and he's been so damn good when healthy that we don't want to get back into this cycle of, okay, now he's hurt again, and when does he come back? Like, it gets a little tiring. So we'll see what happens there. Limited, Traquan Smith, that's good news for him. He's been out with a chest injury. 
Mark Ingram, that's good news for him. He missed last game. Ty Montgomery, also good news for him with his back injury. But the big headliners, Ryan Ramchek with the knee injury being limited. And I put it on Twitter when the news came out. I put the picture of Palpatine from Revenge of the Sith with the he's still alive caption because that's kind of how it felt with Ryan Ramchek. I'm not trying to knock the dude. The dude's a tough guy. And for him to miss time, that means his knee injury was pretty damn serious. But we haven't seen Ryan Ramchek play in a game since November 14th. That's a long time for a guy who's been really reliable and really healthy for the majority of his career. And by healthy, I mean healthy enough to play. Linemen are always banged up. From the minute you hit week four, linemen are dealing with something. So the fact that he's missed time, it's obviously been serious. Good to see him limited, though. And if he continues to stay limited, then he probably plays Sunday. And I actually saw someone say this. I actually saw a few people say this, not someone. But some people said, hey, do you save him for the playoffs? Playoffs start now, technically, for the Saints. I mean, what, what the hell is the point of saving him for next week? There might not be a next week. So if he can play, you play him on Sunday against the Falcons. And then the last member on it, full participation, Taysom Hill finger. I mean, we're not really surprised. You got to put him on there to avoid a fine, but that one's not the shocker. As for the Falcons, only major one, Kyle Pitts, did not practice dealing with a hammy injury. If he misses the game, obviously that's a big thing. He had 60-plus receiving yards the first meeting, and if he's not there... That takes away a really good weapon for the Falcons. And as weird as their season's been, and they haven't been bad, obviously. They've been floating around the line of mediocrity, I would say. Losing pits for this game would be huge. I mean, that takes away one of Matt Ryan's just security blankets. And the kid's just been great as a rookie. So that's a big status to watch there. Now, before I get into the, the, the Saints-Falcons keys to this game, because there's a couple that I want to talk about, what I want to talk about real quick is Ramchek because I, I think it's almost, you know, it would be kind of naive of me to say, oh, Ramchek's limited and then just leave it there. Ramchek's return would be huge. And I, I don't just talk about this week because obviously this is the only week that's guaranteed left on the season, but you got to kind of look at this week and then maybe project just one more week out. If he comes back and Eric McCoy, you're assuming is back and off the COVID list and Teron Armstead, we'll see what happens, but he could be back. If the Saints were to get those three offensive linemen back in the fold, all of a sudden, the offensive line is looking a bit more talented than it was before. That's for starters. But you can potentially dictate the pace and the flow and control the line of scrimmage. And I think for a Saints offense that's really, really limited now more than ever, if you can control the line of scrimmage and be a run-first team, and man, the running game, it's tough to watch when you don't have these offensive linemen in there. Alvin doesn't have much room in terms of where they're going and 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 what he can do because the holes aren't there. So I think for, for that case alone, you get the run game going again. That gives you something offensively that isn't fake. That isn't, you have to scheme it up. It's no, simply our offensive lineman can create those openings and we can exploit them. So that would be a big thing if he were to return. And I think if the running game gets going, it's kind of twofold, right? If the running game is working all of a sudden play action game can be a bit more effective, but more importantly, you could take some things off Taysom Hill's plate. I mean, you put a lot on his plate to begin with, and you're probably setting yourself up for disaster. If you take some of that off his plate, all right, what are you saying? Be a game manager who can run. And I think if you can do that, and all right, I think that that is something there that gives you, can you manufacture 21 points? And again, I hate that I have to say that, but that's how you have to look at the Saints offense right now. It's manufacturing points. Can I get three points out of this, uh, this drive here? Do I have good short field position? Okay. This is where we got to figure out a way to get seven. That's the way the Saints have to approach this. We're not in a situation anymore where you can just score seven at the, at the drop of a hat, and it's just easy like that. So 
getting these offensive linemen back would be huge. Even if it's just for one game in a playoff game, it's still big. Like that changes a lot. That changes the way you look at the dynamic of this Saints team. And I think that's really important. So before I get into the keys, because I got a couple of keys for this one, I see you guys doing some comments. So we'll do some comments. Then we'll go back to the keys and then drop in more comments and I'll get to those. So let's talk about it real quick. Guys talking about Andrews Pete. You're stuck with Pete. Pretty good player, but price tag is through the roof. Yeah, no, you are. When you give Andrews Pete that type of contract, I think you're pretty much setting yourself up to be in that situation. Now, I know some people really want him off the team, but just look around the league. There's not a lot of good guard play. I know I say this every year, and it seems like a cop-out, but I promise you, guard play in this league is just not that good. It's not. But all the dudes who were, uh, did not participate don't play. I wouldn't be surprised, but I, I do kind of think at least one of them will play. I, I think the Wednesday injury report is, Kind of tough to tell. Hope Marcus Davenport can play through the injury or PT can come in and wreck shop. Look, I'm not expecting Peyton Turner to come back and wreck shop, but if he does, that'd be great. As for Davenport, yeah, I think that's really important. I think if you can get to the point where how do we kind of do maintenance on his injuries, like get him through the week so he can play on Sundays. And again, one game left in the regular season, it's kind of now or never. Who are the players you think would get packaged in a big trade for someone like Russ or Watson? I think Lattimore, unfortunately, would be high on the Seahawks' radar. Look, I think if Lattimore didn't get a contract, I think he absolutely would be high on the Seahawks' radar. I think that radar, that'd be something that they want. Uh, get a cornerback in there to kind of revamp a secondary that, let's be honest, has not been good since the Legion of Boom. So I totally get that part. I, I do think, though, you'd probably be looking more in, in, the, in the, I think, the signing trade business of a Marcus Williams, that probably make a little bit more sense. But even then, I don't know if Seattle's in the business of getting these high-priced players right now. I think if Seattle blows it up, they're blowing it up for picks. And I, I think that's really crucial. And I think, again, when you're looking at a Russell Wilson or looking at a Deshaun Watson, I don't know how much these teams are going to value players because it's players who are on a high price tag as well. You know, And I think that's something that if you're a rebuilding team, I don't know if I want your guy on a high price tag. Like, think about the Panthers. When the Panthers were going after Deshaun Watson, they kept offering McCaffrey. Why the hell would the Texans want a running back on a really high salary? They're trying to rebuild. They're not trying to set back. So I think Marcus Williams may be a guy on their radar, but even then, he's going to be a free agent. He's going to cost a lot. And if you're Seattle, you're going to pay $30 million for your safety duo of Adams and, and Williams. That seemed like a lot. So, I think picks is kind of the way, the where it's going to be at, in my opinion. If you're open to talking the draft, Chris, what would you say are the five biggest needs for the Saints, and could you rank them? So I don't really want to, uh, you know, ranking is going to be kind of tough because I'm sure if I looked at it again, I'd be like, okay, let me move this here. But wide receivers obviously need. I think quarterbacks definitely need. I would go as far to say offensive line in general, whether it's another guard or another tackle, would be a need, in my opinion. I would say you need a defensive tackle. I think interior defensive line as a whole. They can use that. Uh, and then I think, look, you, you got to think about what is your DB room after free agency, right? You know, PJ Williams is a free agent. Marcus Williams is a free agent. So I'll say DB just under the assumption that you lose one of those guys. If you don't lose one of those guys, you probably can actually just take a, a pass on DB. I'm always for taking DBs and just hope one of them hits, but we'll see what happens there. Russ is not going to be in black and gold way too pricey. He's older. I'd rather save capital and build around a cheap quarterback. I, look, you know, I, I think that's like the assumption that a lot of people have. I, I just think that for me, I, I don't know if that's the case. Like I think Russell Wilson maybe two years ago would have just cost an arm and a leg and whatever other limbs you can spare and whatever other body parts you can spare. But I, I don't know if he's going to cost 
as much as people think. And what I mean by that is, so Stafford went for two first, right? And obviously Russell Wilson is better than Stafford. I don't, I don't know if Russell Wilson goes for like three first, three seconds and all this like that people think. I think he's definitely going for minimum two first and probably a couple of mid-round picks. But I, I think that there are some question marks, right? You have the big contract with him. His stats don't line up with what people thought they were going to be compared to last year. There was a second half drop off he had in 2020. And then obviously it lingered a little bit. So I think those are some question marks there. I'm not denying he's going to be expensive. He absolutely is going to be expensive. I just don't know when, you know, like if it's one of those situations where the Saints absolutely can afford him, you know, I think it might be a situation where just a team might have more to offer because they got better picks and they just have better draft capital in terms of where they're positioned. But I wouldn't be shocked if the Saints have enough to get something done. Playoff started when we lost to Miami. Yeah, you're damn right there. Absolutely damn right. CJ Gardner's strong safety. He'll get out of his slot role and move to strong safety. Yeah, look, I think that's definitely a possibility. I think, look, I'll say this real quick, uh, and then I'll do the rest of these comments and then go back to the, the Falcon Saints keys. The DB room's really versatile, and I think that's what I really like about it. I think that Gardner Johnson, man, you can move him around. PJ Williams, you can move him around. And I think just those two pieces alone, just talking about those guys real quick, the fact that they could play slot, they could play safety, I love that. I absolutely love that. And I think that's how you build a really fun defense, right? A lot of what Dennis Allen does, more than a lot of defensive coordinators, he loves to play more DBs than the usual packages. And that's because he's got two really, really versatile guys like that. So keeping them, A, is paramount, but also B, gives you flexibility, man. Because PJ could slot into safety. Because I saw a couple of you guys wrote in the chat, you know, what about Malcolm Jenkins? He's getting older. Which, Malcolm Jenkins is still a, a solid football player. Obviously, his best days are behind him. But he's still a solid football player. But keeping a PJ Williams, keeping a Marcus Williams, and still having Garner Johnson obviously under contract for next year allows you to kind of just ease that issue, right? It doesn't seem that bad. If I got a hole in the wall and I start covering, all of a sudden, do I know if the hole... Yeah, the hole might still be there technically, but you're not going to see it. And I think what I mean by that is you can disguise your defenses a little bit different when you have guys and DBs that can go all over the field. So uh, I'm not really too worried about the DB room, but we'll revisit this conversation after free agency. Need another big game from Cam, especially if Marcus is out, which is pretty likely given history playing, uh, given his history playing against Matt Ryan. Yeah, no, absolutely right. I, I think for Cam, and actually was going to talk about that, and I still will one of the keys. You got to get pressure, right? And who better to get pressure on Matt Ryan than Cam Jordan? So I, I'm, I feel pretty good about him getting another sack. Do you have faith in our tight end room for the future? Honestly speaking, because I, I don't want to be disingenuous, guys. No, I don't. I, I think that the tight end room, there's a lot of ifs. If Vanette can stay healthy and be a blocker, if Troutman can be a better blocker and catch the damn football, because I think that's something that we're not talking about enough. Like a lot of people are saying, yeah, Adam Troutman hasn't taken that next step as receiver. I think he's also regressed as a blocker. Like last year, he made a lot of great blocks. I'm like, okay, he's got that down. And then he's making mistakes this year where I'm like, okay, maybe he doesn't have that down. So Troutman's a question mark. And Jawan Johnson, obviously a question mark. Great potential there. Nice athleticism, good story, good body to mold into tight end. But yet again, I'm still, you know, ifs and does this work out? So my faith isn't very high, but who knows? Like this is why you have off-season workout programs and time and, and opportunity for these guys to develop. You get what you pay for if you want a cheap QB. Yeah, no, Absolutely. 
Uh, you get what you pay for if you want a cheap QB. And then also on the flip side, if you overpay for a QB who really isn't worth the money, and what I mean by that is let's say like the Browns overpay Baker Mayfield, you also get what you deserve because you overpaid for that person. So um, it, it, it's a tough business, man, figuring out the quarterback spot. What do you think the chances are of T-Stead coming back? I would say better than I thought they were a month ago. When the report came out that he's battling an injury that needs surgery, but he's waiting until after the season, I think that tells you his heart's going to be in New Orleans and he still needs a good contract because he's still a damn good football player when healthy. But I don't think he's just ready to go into free agency and cash out. And if that was the case, he would probably just sit out, right? Get healthy. Who cares what happens? You know, you're just eight and eight. Don't kill yourself for this season. But Armstead has that warrior quality, but he also has that connection to New Orleans. I'd say it's 50-50. I feel like it's there's a possibility he comes back. I don't think it's out the it's out the window. Maher has been good, but we know Lutz is better despite his late 2020 slump. I wonder if they try and do something with Lutz due to his contract cost. Yeah, that'll be an interesting discussion for sure, Steven. That's a great point. And Lutz, to, to your point that you brought up, wasn't playing particularly great before he got hurt. So I'm interested to see where he's at after the injury and the surgery and all that, where he's at after the setback from the injury and the surgery. And also... What is he now? Like, is he still a top five kicker? Because Lutz was a top five kicker. Like, we got to give him credit for what he was. Is he still a top five kicker, though? Because if you're paying him that type of money, he's not producing. Not great. Not great at all. So, obviously, if you guys have more comments, more questions, more thoughts, drop them in. I'll pull them up after. But I want to get into the Saints-Falcons, a couple of quick keys for this game, and just kind of keep it simple here because I don't want to overthink this matchup, just like I didn't want to overthink last week's matchup against the Panthers. So let's start off with the first thing. How do you start the game? Sounds so simple, sounds so easy, and yet last time around, the Saints got off to a terrible start. They were down 17-3 to going into the fourth quarter. They had nothing going. They had zero points through the first half. And part of it was just figuring out a full game with Trevor Simeon, because remember, that was the first full game without Jameis. Another part of it was the, the emotional letdown coming off an emotional high. It sounds like just absolute BS, and yet it happens so many times that there is a legit science to it almost. Big win against the Bucs, feeling great, knocked him off, pick six to end the game. And now you got to get yourself ready for a division opponent who didn't have the same circumstances. They're ready to play you. They've been ready since last Sunday, and you're just coming off that big win. And now you got to reset and you got to refocus. And the Saints did it, but they did it late in the game. Now they still took the lead, and then they gave it up obviously at the end and gave up the game-winning field goal. But it's so tough when you come off that big emotional win to just recalibrate and reset and be ready for the next opponent. And I thought that's kind of what caught them. And it caught them a couple years ago, actually, against the Falcons coming off a of bye week. It caught them this year coming off the Bucks win. So I don't think it'll catch them this time. You're coming off a win against the Panthers where you did what you're supposed to do, but you didn't play great. And realistically, if you're playing a good quarterback, you maybe lose that game. Because the offense of the Saints just gave the Panthers offense chance after chance after chance, but Sam Darnold was so damn bad that Panthers couldn't do it. They said, no thanks. I don't need it. I don't think there'll be that emotional letdown, but that is a key for this one. Getting pressure on the Falcons. Obviously, this is something that is just simple for any team you face. Obviously, winning and getting pressure at the line of scrimmage is key, but especially here. The defensive line last week was dominant. Seven sacks against the Panthers. Cam made plays. Quan made play, uh, plays. On Yamada made plays. Your DBs and Gardner Johnson and P.J. Williams both had a sack each. It was just a really dominant showing. And for Matt Ryan, if he's going to miss Kyle Pitts, and he's already gotten through a really long season, he's taken a bunch of hits, 
you get pressure on Matt Ryan. It's week 17. They got nothing to play for other than being spoilers. That's a good way of kind of breaking your, your opponent's will, right? And I think for the Saints, you got the hottest pass rusher in football right now, Cam Jordan. This is a good opportunity here. Get pressure. That would be another key for me going into this matchup. The third thing, you got to have a plan for Cordell Patterson. They didn't have one last time, in my opinion. You bought him in the run game, nine carries, 10 yards. That's great. That's outstanding. But he's not really a running back. He's a wide receiver listed as a running back. And man, did Cordell Patterson as a receiver have the Saints number six catches for 126 yards the first time around. And a lot of it was get him in good situations, matched up against Quan Alexander, matched up against Paulson Adebo. They got him in situations where he could thrive. And the Saints now have to say, what's our answer to that? You go back, you look at the film, you realize, all right, we didn't defend Cordell Patterson the best way possible, which is pretty evident when you see him put up 126 yards receiving. What's the answer to that? How do you readdress that? That is another key. I want to see how they go after him. And if Kyle Pitts misses his game, you got to have a plan for Cordell Patterson because he'll be by far and away their best offensive weapon. My fourth thing, get Alvin Kamara in space. This offense is bad. I get that. It's a bad offense right now. But sometimes it's as simple as get the man in space and let 41 just be 41. And you saw it on the touchdown pass that he had, a touchdown reception he had from Taysom Hill. It's simple sometimes, man. Just roll him out, get him in space, and he'll do it. He'll do it, I promise you. But when your O-line's banged up and you're trying to get him to run through holes that aren't there, you're asking too much. No one's doing that. So get him in space if you can. Let him work his magic. And my fifth thing, it's very simple. Don't turn it over. This Saints offense has been brutal at times, but I give them credit for playing clean football. It looks ugly, but it's clean in terms of the turnover stat sheet. Got to keep doing that. Don't give the Falcons extra chances. Don't put your defense in tough spots. Your defense does what it needs to do almost every single week. If you got to play the field goal, the field position game, play the field position game. You did it last week. It worked. You did it against Tampa Bay on Sunday night. It worked. Play that if you have to. Do not have turnovers because if you have turnovers and you're shortening the field and you're losing the time of possession battle, that's where you hurt your defense and you get them tired and you get them all worked up. Can't have that. So avoid the turnovers. Play a clean game. Get Alvin Kamara in space. You got to avoid a slow start. Get pressure on Matt Ryan. Have a plan for Cordell Patterson. Obviously, like I just said, the fifth and probably the most important one, don't turn over the football. Those are really big keys, obviously, going into this one. A lot of them seem like cookie cutter and very simple, but sometimes it really is simple. This game can be complicated, but sometimes it's not that complicated. And with this year's Saints team, where it's all defense, bad offense, sometimes it's as simple as don't mess up offensively, and that's the way you got to put it. But getting quick, easy throws, and you guys mentioned it in the chat, those are the things. Just easy completions. Get them in rhythm. Get them on time and get them on the same page because that's something we haven't seen this year. Hoping we could see it on Sunday. And if you can do that, that's where you manufacture offense. That's how you get the ball rolling. It's easy stuff like that. So we'll see what happens. Saints need to win. 49ers need to lose. If those two things happen, our New Orleans Saints are playoff bound. So it's going to be a wild Sunday of going back and forth. I'll have both games on. I'll have the Saints on one TV. I'll have the 49ers game on another and I'll keep going back and forth seeing what's going on and who's winning the matchup, what's going on, what's not. And it, it is going to be a fascinating, fascinating game to see what happens. But I'm really excited for it. It's, it's something that the way this year's gone, through all the ups, through all the downs, you tell me it's week 18, Saints still got a shot at this thing, and it's not that unrealistic. All right, I'm, I'm game for it. 
I'm game for it. So before I wrap up, if you guys have any comments, drop them in. I'll get to them real quick, and then I'll do it for this preview episode uh, of the Straight Up Saints podcast. So let's see this one. As much as I want to make the playoffs, I'm scared of being humiliated by the Rams. Would love to play spoiler, though. So, you know, I feel like you kind of just answered it in the second part, you know? If the Saints make the playoffs, yeah, look, they might get embarrassed by the Rams or the Bucks or whoever the hell they might end up playing. But who cares? Like, it, you're playing with house money. If you go into the playoffs with Taysom Hill as your quarterback, you're expected to lose. Like, right? Everyone's going to watch that game and assume that you're going to lose. And my God, even if it's just a 10% chance you could win it, and I said this last podcast, I put up the video on my Twitter, I would love to see them spoil someone's season. It's about time the Saints are playing spoiler. We've seen other teams spoil the Saints season. Shoe on the other foot, I'll take it. We need another Matt Ryan stiff arm this Sunday. My my man, we do. I, I think they absolutely do. If we can see that again, I would probably piss my pants. I'm not going to lie. It would, it would be pretty funny. If the Saints make the playoffs, they're likely going to be playing against the Rams. How do you feel about their insane passers like Donald, Von, and, uh, Von Miller, and Leonard Floyd against our O-line? Worries me personally. Yeah, look, it's a worry. Absolutely is. And I, I think for the Saints, wherever you go in, the Bucks, the Rams, I think the Bucks you guys probably feel the most comfortable with. The Bucks, the Rams, the Cowboys, the Cardinals, whoever you might face in the playoffs. Well, it can't be the Cardinals, actually, because you need the Rams to win the division. So excuse that. Whoever they face, you're going to be worried about the offense, right? Because it's a bad offensive line right now with the injuries. It's a bad offense in general going up against either a Dallas defense that's got Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence and a bunch of other pass rushers like Randy Gregory, a Tampa Bay unit that has a really good front seven, or a Rams unit that's got Aaron freaking Donald and also, he's got Leonard Floyd and, and Von Miller across from him. And Jalen Ramsey in the back end. So, I think whoever they play offensively, you're going to be worried. And I absolutely would be concerned. Could you imagine the times that Aaron Donald would make Cesar Ruiz look silly? He'd probably lose track within the first half of the game. But the Saints defense is so good and so explosive and, and just so relentless that I think whoever they play in the playoffs, hypothetically speaking, if they get in, it's going to be a fist fight. And it's going to be one of those who wins a turnover battle, who doesn't screw up the short field possession, and who can just manufacture points. And that's kind of what this game comes down to in the playoffs, right? Like, even think about the Saints-Bears game last year. We went into that, just thought the Saints would roll over the Bears. And on the box score, the Saints did roll over the Bears. But it wasn't easy, right? And even that game, the Saints were such a more talented team, and they didn't do it. So I think when you come to the playoffs... It really is an ugly game. And that probably is good for the Saints because they know how to play ugly because they've been playing ugly this whole damn season. So we'll see what happens if we get to that point. Would I be worried about the Rams? Sure. But just the thought of potentially knocking the Rams out of playoffs would make me forget about the worries. And if they happen over the course of the game, you got the excuse, man. This is an injury-riddled team that somehow made the playoffs. The Saints draft receiver in the first round and by some reason Metu drops the second or third round. Um, which I do not think will happen, but if it does, do they double down a receiver? I think, you know, I, th I do think that Mechie's going to fall to the second round minimum because of the ACL tear. Uh, he might have gone there anyway just because the receiver class is really deep, and I do think there are questions about his athleticism compared to other guys like a Jamison William or a Jahan Dotson, but I, I think Mechie will be there day two, and I don't know if the Saints are, would double down at receiver, but I, I think there's no reason to not, Double down on a receiver? Because you got to trust your board, right? And I think for them, if he's the best player in, in day two and you already took a receiver, your offense needs playmakers. So why the hell not double down? 
That being said, I don't think the Saints are going to take a receiver in the first round, but to your point, you said if they do, so I'm going off what you asked. And uh, I, think it's, I think it's plausible. Like, think about what they just did in this draft. They went Peyton Turner, and they took a defensive player, but then took another defensive player in the second round, and then took another defensive player in the third round. Now, I know they're different positions. I, I just don't think that you can ever have enough talent at a position. And even 2017, right? You took Lattimore in the first round. You took Marcus Williams in the second round. That's two DBs. So they need talent. They need talent. They need help at that position. I, I think they can use it. Rams revenge game. Yeah, look, that's what it's all about, man. That's what it's all about. How do you personally feel about the Michael Thomas situation? Would you be open to trading him for picks? Yeah, if the picks are good, yeah, talk shop. I think it's worth talking shop. I mean, he hasn't really played for them in two years just from a dependability standpoint. And some of it's his fault. Some of it's just injuries. Most of it's just injuries. You can't really control that part of the game. The other part is just him and the Saints not being on par in terms of communication. So I think you do open you know, you do open the, the, the phone book and you do field some calls, make some calls, sure. But the value's got to be good. You can't just give away Michael Thomas just to give away Michael Thomas because he's a damn good player, went healthy. So I would be open to it, but I, I'm not rushing him out the door if the, the, the offers in return aren't great. I know he's a bit older. How do you feel on a Jimmy Graham reunion? I'm good. I was up for it a couple of years ago. I really wanted it a couple of years ago. I just don't want it now because I just don't think Jimmy Graham's good anymore. Um, I think Jimmy Graham on the Saints back then was such a pleasure to watch. I have no ill will towards him, especially now, man. It, it's been long gone. I do think he missed his chance. He could have came back to him a couple of years ago. Thought he should have. Didn't. It is what it is. He did what he did, what he thought was right, and you can only respect that person's decision. But... I think that ship has sailed. Last question I'm going to do here, guys, and I'm going to log out, but let's finish with this one. If we make the playoffs, I believe Sean Payton deserves coach of the year. The fact that we're even in this position is crazy when you look at all the injuries this year. Plus, we haven't had our number one wide receiver all year. Look, I agree with you. I agree with you, Manuel. Look, you, you, you look at the situation. Injuries, COVID outbreak, not having Michael Thomas, QB1 goes down. And you really, you really somehow find a way to be in a week 18 situation where there's a playoff clinching scenario. That is impressive. And yeah, I think that Sean Payton absolutely deserves to be in the conversation. I think he will be in the conversation. I just don't think he'll win it because he's Sean Payton. That's, that's the way I do. That's the way I feel about this. You want the Saints to fix both guard spots? Yeah, it's going to be tough, man. It's going to be tough. We'll see what happens though. Don't rule out craziness with the Saints. I think it's possible uh, for sure. Yeah, look, I, real quick, you know, I said I was just going to do a couple, but you know me, I can't not read and pull up comments. But Coach of the Year, in my opinion, since you guys brought it up, I think it's two things. It goes to someone with a really great record and always goes to someone who, like, is somewhat new. And what I mean by that is when Sean McVay becomes head coach, like, okay, shiny toy, let's give it to Sean. All of a sudden, Cliff Kingsbury and the Cardinals were looking good, not as much anymore, maybe him. Even when the Chargers started off hot this year, everyone was ready to say Brandon Staley, coach of the year. It's always the new guys because they get sick of the old guys, and that's why guys like Sean Payton kind of struggle to win it, but he deserves to be in the combo. Let's say we make the divisional round. Do you think we could beat the Packers again? Yeah, I think they could because of the defense. Do I think it's likely? No, but hey, I'd be down for it. And again, like I said, you're playing with house money regardless of who you face if you make the playoffs, so I'm down for it regardless. But anyway, guys, that's going to do it for this edition of the Straight Up Saints podcast. Again, I thank you guys so much for joining the chat, dropping your comments. I really appreciate all the time. We'll be back on the Straight Up Saints podcast, another live stream after the Saints-Falcons game, and we'll know then if the Saints are playoff bound. And 
that'll probably dictate the show and probably dictate the comments from you guys because we'll be either talking about the playoffs or talking about what's going to happen in the offseason. But I know it'll be fun, especially if you guys are here to chat about it and drop comments in the live stream chat. So appreciate all of you guys. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy this upcoming weekend. And let's hope, fingers crossed, that the Saints find a way to make the damn playoffs. You're listening to the Straight Up Saints Podcast.